This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. And you know, as we hit late September here and we look ahead to week three in the National Football League. This is a good time in New York sports for the first time in a while. I mean, we're looking forward to October where we have two teams that are legitimate World Series threats. You could even classify the Mets as being very close to a World Series favorite, the way, the way their pitching staff is operating right now. As far as the uh, football, I mean, you have the Giants at 2-0. and They have a real coaching staff. They've won two games that they easily could have lost and in the past would have lost. And the Jets have a miracle win already, although they obviously uh, need to eventually get back to the kid at quarterback because if they don't, uh, what are they doing about their future? But right now, this could easily, with one more big victory, this could easily be Flacco's team for a while. But the teams now have added optimism to the game plan, and we haven't had optimism with the Jets and Giants in so long, it's something that is very nice as we get ready to look towards October. With that in mind, let's get to some emails. Remember, you can email me at Podcast at gmail.com. We get to as many as we can. Here we go. And what I do is I, when I get these, I want to react to them spontaneously so I don't read them in the, uh, before I uh, do them for the program so that I can react spontaneously. Uh Brendan asks, neither are Hall of Famers, but which one is closer to the Hall of Fame in your opinion, Munson or Mattingly? I don't think either are Hall of Famers when you look at the body of their career. I would say Thurman because he's a catcher. Mattingly, his back kept him out of the Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. If you go six years into his career, he was headed to the Hall of Fame. Mattingly at one point was the best player in the league. Uh, But Munson being a leader, a catcher, a captain, was a great clutch hitter, was a great leader. His career just got cut short. Uh, and injuries were going to cut it short, I think, anyway. But, his, you know, the, obviously the uh, uh, accident uh, ended his life way, way, way too early. When you realize, too, that he was going to be an enormously successful businessman, he was on his way to doing that already. Um, he was already dabbling in a lot of businesses and was was on his way. Uh, I think uh, it's it's so so sad uh, what what happened. Uh, Michael asks, with Aaron Judge getting a closer to Maris as sixty one homers and this being the sixtieth anniversary, uh, I would wonder if you had any childhood memories of those uh, last two events. You know, I remember 61. The first year I went to the uh, a baseball game was 1961. The first game I ever went to was against the Cleveland Indians and Manuel Maris and Johnny Blanchett all hit home runs. Um, I don't have really great recollections of the 61st homer. 
I remember 62 enormously. I, I'm sketchy on 61. 62, I can remember every bit of it. As Mickey won the MVP, uh, you know, was batting first late in the season to get enough uh, batting chances, get enough uh, plate appearances to be eligible for the batting title. He wound up losing it to a slap hitter from the Red Sox named Pete Runnels, 326-321. I actually went to the stadium in 62. My mom got tickets from somebody late in the season. It was against the Washington Senators. She took us out of school so that we could go to the game because we never really got a chance to get seats. Um, went to the game. Mantle was batting first, again, to get more at-bats. Hit a double his first time up. It was the only hit he had in the game. But I remember him batting first. And as I've mentioned many times about that game, Phil Linz gave me a ball. I mean, so that's why I uh, had a lifetime link to Phil Linz because he gave me a baseball that day. Harry emails. Pulos is now with his numbers at 698, third in RBIs. You said the idea of the game is to produce runs. Where do you rank him? Hey, Pulos is an all-time hitter. I mean, when you when you hit 700 home runs and knock in – over 2,000 runs, you're going to be regarded as one of the great run producers in the history of the sport. I mean, he ranks right with the guys at the top offensively. He was a great, great offensive player. No question about it. I mean, it's, it's you know, so was A-Rod. But again, now you don't count that because of the steroids. You diminish the accomplishments of Bonds, A-Rod, Sosa, and Maguire. You take them right off the top, which has really destroyed any records and has really destroyed any way to analyze this whole era because of the dominance of those four players offensively and the fact that they were all guilty of being steroid guys. Um, Michael asks, during a recent game between the Mets and Pirates, they had uh, Francisco Lindor mic'd up and were interviewing him while he was playing shortstop. Uh he had a ball hit to him. I did not see this, uh, that he could not reach. Was he distracted? Uh, I, I really don't know, but I didn't realize they would have a mic during the game and talk to him. I, I've never seen that, and I didn't see that particular game, so I didn't see that happen. I'm against that stuff. I don't mind if they want to talk to a guy in the dugout between innings. I don't even like I, – I, I never we never get anything out of those interviews, either with the manager or anybody else. I would rather that the announcers just announce the game and let the players play the game. I do not like the idea that we do all this stuff, in-game stuff. I don't like in-game interviews with coaches. I think they never say anything anyway, and I think they're an invasion. Let the man coach the game. Let the man worry about that, okay? If I were a head coach, I'd turn it down. If it was a league rule, I'd give them nothing because I really think it's outrageous. I really do. I think, you know, let the man coach the game. You want to talk to him before the game or after the game? Fine, not during the game. I mean, it's gotten ridiculous. It really has. Rob emails, why do you think no NFL head coach has been able to win a Super Bowl with two different teams? That's a great, you know, that is a great question. I think some of it is just happenstance. Okay. Now, you had a case of a guy losing a Super Bowl and then going to another place and winning. Uh, Dick Vermeil did that. Don Shula did that. Lost with the Colts, went to the Dolphins. Vermeil did it, obviously. Lost with the Eagles, went with the Rams with a big space in between. 
All right, Andy Reid did that. Lost with the Eagles, got a second job, won with the Chiefs. The amazing thing is the guys who won, the guy who should have clearly done that. Now, Holmgren came the closest because he got screwed out of the Super Bowl in Seattle by a terrible call and a terrible game, uh, officiated game, worst officiated Super Bowl of all time, and he won in Green Bay. But Parcells, who was such a program builder, won two with the Giants, lost the Super Bowl in four years with the Pats, lost an AFC title game with the Jets where he would have had a cakewalk Super Bowl against the Falcons, but it didn't happen. And the, and the Broncos went and romped the Falcons because the Falcons upset the uh, Vikings and then never got to the Super Bowl in his fourth and last stint, which was with Dallas. He should have done it. Obviously, people wanted to see if Jimmy Johnson did it, but he didn't have a lot of success in his next stop. Um, a, I think it's very hard to do. I do think it will be done eventually. Guys have come close, but it's very hard, you know, to get a team to a Super Bowl win. It is. It's very difficult. And then if you leave and have to go somewhere else, it's very difficult to do. It's a process. It really is. Parcells would have done it in New England if he had stayed. The problem, the reason he didn't do it, was the fact that he didn't stay long enough at any of his other stops. He went eight years with the Giants. It took him four years to win a Super Bowl, and then four years to win another one with the Giants, and he won two in eight years. He only spent four years in New England. He only spent three years with the Jets. He only spent a couple years with the Cowboys. The bottom line is he didn't stay long enough. It takes time. It really, But somebody will eventually do that. Uh, I think it's more happenstance than anything else, but I also think it's very difficult to win Super Bowls with teams. It really is. Uh, this is Brian. They ask, have you enjoyed? Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast. Any thoughts on the markets? Do you think the Fed is going to overshoot? And now we're going to do a little business. Um, I was just reading something about the Fed philosophy. I do not consider myself a expert on monetary policy or the Fed's ability to adjust and dictate where the, where the economy is going to go. Right now, they are trying to obviously wrestle what is runaway inflation. We have inflation now to an absurd level. Just right now, be someone who needs raw materials to build something, find out how expensive things have gotten. Or just ask anybody who goes shopping each week, I was just discussing this with my wife because the Wall Street Journal this morning had a story that this year, last year to this year, food prices are up an average of 13% per item in the store. That's outrageous. In the month of August, prices went up 8% for the month. That's insane. Uh... They, are, they feel that they cannot do anything long-term without arresting inflation. How far they go to arrest inflation is going to be the interesting part as far as their raising of interest rates. They're clearly going to raise them again. They might raise them two or three more times. 
Um, they have already, remember, you now have rates, look at the mortgages, where they haven't been in 15 years. You basically had 0% money or less than 1% money forever. Now, that those days are over. Now, within a period of time, you're going to be able to take your money and get 4 and 5% without locking it up. If you can do that, I don't think the stock market can handle that. I think it's going to be a very tough time. I do think we'll have a rally in the stock market this year. I would say be patient. I think it will happen. I think late October, you can probably start buying really good stocks, like I'm talking about Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, stuff like that, and just hold, and you'll get a bang for your buck. Going forward, you'll get a price to get out at and make some money or just keep it and hold it. I will be without question sometime in either late October or early November buying those companies. I've been buying Apple on the way down. I've always been an Apple stockholder. I've been for years. I've been buying Amazon on the way down. I've always been an Amazon stockholder for years. Um, I would also buy Microsoft and I would buy NVIDIA, which has been destroyed. Now, the chips are going to take it. Everyone says chips are going to take it on a chin for a little while longer. But long term, NVIDIA is a great buy right now, a great buy. Uh, so if you have a time frame, if you're older and you need the money now, it's an impossible time. An impossible time. If you have a if you're in your 30s, it's a great opportunity right now. If you're in your 30s or 40s, this is going to be one of the buying opportunities of a lifetime. Get ready. You should have already started buying. Get ready to start buying and just put it away. And you know what? You will smile all the way to the bank in the years to come. Long term, there's no place to put your money except the stock market. It is the greatest creator of wealth ever created. I don't think there's anything like it. Um, Chris asked, the Giants are 2-0, and I'm excited. Well, you should be. Uh, like you, I think a lot of it has to do with the coaching and less with Daniel Jones. In some ways, I think they've won despite Jones. If the Giants uh, look like a team with potential, could Garoppolo be the answer? I don't think they like Garoppolo. I, I don't get that idea. Uh, a lot of teams don't like Garoppolo. I like him a lot more. And you know what? His lifetime record is excellent. And you know what you saw on Sunday? When Lance got hurt, you saw Garoppolo go in that huddle. Did you see how the players reacted when Garoppolo went in the huddle? They were pounding on him. They were jumping on him. They like him. He's done nothing but win for them. He's taken to the Super Bowl, and he was one play away from winning the Super Bowl. This guy can play. I don't think he's the giant future, but I don't think Daniel Jones is either. I agree with you. The Giants won despite Daniel Jones. On Sunday, the Gi- here's the thing. They have looked like a team because they have been coached well the first two weeks. And their defensive coordinator has a lot of aggressiveness, and you like that. And he was aggressive with the safety blitz on third down to get the ball away from Carolina, and that was really one of the big plays in that game. One of the other big plays in the game is right before the half, Daniel Jones threw a terrible pass that should have been intercepted for a touchdown. It was dropped. He had a couple of interceptions. They didn't turn the ball over on Sunday, the Giants, but Dan Jones gave him a couple of easy interceptions that they dropped. In game one, he threw that terrible interception on the wheel route to, to, um, to the back. Um, I have not seen anything from Daniel Jones that would move him forward. I, will think, it's, I think it's a long shot. The Giants 
are going to obviously have a better year. The division's weak, and they're already off to a good start. They've already won two games they could have easily lost. They have the Cowboys and the Bears coming up. If they even split these next two games and go 3-1, and one, they're off to a very good spot in a weak division. Now, the Eagles look good. I admit that. But the division is weak. The Giants, uh, and, and I've always been a believer both ways, that if you are a team that has a chance to be a playoff team and you start 0-3, 0-4, it can ruin your season because psychologically it's very hard to climb out of that hole in the NFL. Conversely, if you're a team that was right on the brink of being a 500 team and you start fast, you can build on that. The players start to buy in. They get there earlier. They work harder. There's a smile on their face. They buy into the concept. That can go on, and that could happen with the Giants very, very quickly. Kevin, you've said in the past that uh, you like the current four-team playoff in college football. Uh, what do you think now that the playoffs are going to 12 teams? I think it was inevitable the way the money's being distributed and the way the teams now are separating and the way the conferences are, uh, you know, exploding and really dividing. Um I think 16 is probably the final destination. Um, There's no concept that really works. Will this damage the Bulls? Absolutely. Will some Bulls lose a lot of steam out of this? Absolutely. But in the long run, the playoff itself as a moneymaker will be enormously successful. The only sport that is really growing itself from a TV standpoint now is now the NFL doesn't have to, but it continues to maintain, but college football has grown and what changed everything for college football was the success of the big 10 network. It opened a lot of eyes. It changed everything from a TV standpoint. Uh, Santi asks, with the midterms approaching soon, would you ever consider doing a political show on the podcast? You know, I don't intend on doing a lot of it. I'm really disappointed. I'm I'm disappointed with both sides. I really am. I'm disappointed that we haven't learned our lessons, that we haven't done a better job of trying to make things better in what is a very tough time in this country. And I don't see us any better off in terms of having a truce between the two warring factions and the two doctrines. It seems to me that the outside of each of those parties, the far right in the Republicans, the far left in the Democrats, are still trying so hard to take the parties to the extremist level and to the outside extreme they can go to. So the fringe, I call it, although they're fringe in number but not fringe in impact, are dragging the Democrats left and they're dragging the Republicans right instead of dragging people to the middle where there can be consensus. We're moving away from consensus all the time. And frankly, Trump had a great opportunity, and I thought he lost it. Biden 
had a great opportunity, and I don't think he has seized it. I think we've had very poor leadership at the presidential position in recent years. And it's very disappointing. William emails, when Zach Wilson returns, if he doesn't make the leap and the team finishes the season with a few wins, do the Jets draft another quarterback? Um, I am a believer that you keep procuring quarterbacks unless you are in the early years of being blessed with a great quarterback. When you have a Mahomes, when you have a young Aaron Rodgers, when you have a guy at the position like, say, the Chargers do, or you are set at the position at a young age and you know you have a decade going forward with your guy, you don't have to draft any quarterbacks. You don't have to fool around with that position. You can draft one late that you can use as a backup or you can get one as a free agent. The bottom line is you're in a very special position. But if you are not in that position, and most teams are in the other position, of still being in the search. If you're in the search, then I think anytime you have a right to be drafting quarterbacks, because until you fill that position, you're not there. Rodney asks, I, like you, thought Illinois would be a winning head coach at any level. In your opinion, what went wrong? And what school do you think would be a fit now? Well, it's quite timely that you bring this up. Number one, Urban Meyer is a brilliant football coach. The problem with Urban Meyer is he had a different idea about how the NFL will operate. And he thought he could operate a team the way he wanted and operate it the way he was used to operating a team on the college level, and that cannot be done on the NFL level, even if you're Urban Meyer. You cannot change the way the NFL works. You cannot come in as an outsider, and that's what he was, despite his lofty record, which is utterly brilliant every place he went. But... He thought that he could treat the players and the coaches like he did on the college level, and it cannot be done. These men are professionals. They carry briefcases. They are not children. They are not sophomores and freshmen and juniors and even seniors. They are accomplished businessmen, both as assistant coaches, career coaches, who have a specialty, and players. And he was very wrong to believe that he could do otherwise. And he mistreated his assistants to to where they rebelled and threw him under the bus. And he did the same with his players, and it cannot be done. And he found out very quickly, as did other guys. Saban found out very quickly, not for me. And he had had some experience with it before that. Guys who were on the college level, when I talked to Urban Meyer, when Urban Meyer came in to promote his book, 
we sat in the studio and we had never spent any real time together. He knew who I was. I obviously knew who he was. We had a very close mutual friend. He and I were both very good friends with Rick Majerus. He was when he was at Utah. Rick helped him a lot. Okay, I know how close they were. He knows how close I was to Majerus. So we shared a mutual friend. We talked a lot off the air that day. And one thing I said to him when he was leaving, I said, Irvin, one of these owners is going to make it impossible for you not to take a shot at the NFL someday. He said, I'll never do it. I know I don't belong there. It's not for me. It's not for the way I coach. He says, Mike, I know that. I'll never go. I know it. That's what he said to me that day when he left. And I said, hey, it's going to be hard to pass up. You know, it's the final level. And the money's big. And he said, it's not for me. And you know what? He bit on the apple. And it was not for him. Now, that said, Nebraska is desperate. There's no question they have already put out feelers to Urban Meyer. Nebraska is a program that under Tom Osborne won nine or ten games, won at least nine games, and most years ten or more games for like 30 straight years. Two losses was a disaster. That was a bad season, two losses. That was a terrible season. They never lost fewer games, more games than three, ever. In a season. Now they can't win. Now they've lost something like 18 straight games to ranked teams. They have become, and they have the most crazy fan base of all time. Their fans travel anywhere. They go to every game. They live for Husker football. And so they're desperate. When you're desperate, you go to the guy who can't miss as a program builder. So would I be shocked if Urban Meyer winds up at Nebraska? I would not. Will he win there? Immediately. So he is. Frank asks, my question to you as a Yankee fan, if Judge does break Maris's record, which it looks like he will, and he goes on to win the Triple Crown, which it looks like he might, uh, would you consider it the best season from a Yankee that you've ever seen? Um, it will probably not equal Mickey's 56. To do that, he would have to do a lot more. Mickey won the Triple Crown. He led both leagues in five different top categories, including home runs, RBIs, and batting average. He hit 353 that year. Um, Judge's year is phenomenal. He might win the batting crown. Uh, he's going to break Rogers' record. Even Judge has not tried to say it's the home run record, though. That's a tricky one because the three guys in the National League all hit more than that. We don't know what his final number is going to be, though. Um, it's a great year. I don't know. And remember, Mantle in 56, his team won the World Series. He was the big reason in the perfect game that was pitched in the World Series. That game was a 2 nothing win for the Yankees. He hit a home run and made a great catch off Gil Hodges that saved the perfect game. You can't have a better season than that. Win the MVP, win the Triple Crown, win the World Series, the whole thing. If Judge does all that, he'll have basically done the same thing. 
Mike emails, never will understand both New York football teams playing at the same time. You know, this is absolutely true, okay? Last Sunday, you had DeGrom pitching at the same time and the Giants and the Jets playing at the same time. In the old days, going back any time between 70s all the way to the last six or seven years, the Giants and the Jets never played at the same time, ever. But they have wanted to put a good game in the New York market because the teams have been bad, so they have played at the same time. If they're good, they won't play at the same time. If they're both playoff contenders that you watch, they will not schedule them very often at the same time. Now they've gotten to do it because they cleared out the doubleheader game for New York and allowed the doubleheader game to shine in New York. That will change if they get good. It's gotten to the point now where nobody cared if they were playing at the same time. If they're good, people will care. There's no question. You would rather they didn't. Now, this week, they don't because the Giants are playing a primetime game against the Cowboys. Joe emails, with Steve Cohen's money and fandom of the team he owns, is it realistic to expect the Mets to compete and make the playoffs every season as long as he is the owner? Um, it's realistic that if he puts smart people in, front of, in, in charge of his franchise and is willing to open up his wallet that there's no reason to believe that in these formats now that they will not be a playoff team, but there will come a time where that will not be enough because it clearly is not enough for the Yankee fan and his team makes the playoffs every single year, but they want more. They desperately want more as Met fans. You will quickly want more right now. That's okay. And that's a standard you would live with and you'd be happy with because you haven't had it when you've had that for a while, that won't be enough. Send your emails to podcast at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we can. We've got a busy week coming up this week, so be looking for more podcasts, and have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.